Welcome to the Amplify to Seven Figures podcast, where we look inside the mind of seven-figure entrepreneurs to see how they amplify their business and amplify their life. Let's welcome today's guest. Today's guest is a regular feature in top global media outlets, including Forbes and Fast Company. She is a renowned keynote speaker and tough love advisor to the Fortune 500. And as the founder and CEO of a boutique efficiency firm, White Space at Work, she is an evangelist for freeing the potential of companies by unburdening their talent from busy work. Please give a very warm welcome to today's guest, Juliet Funt. How are you doing, Juliet? I'm great. Thank you so much. I am super excited to have you on the show today. So been certainly been doing some research uh, about like just looking at your perspective on on things. And and what, one of the things that I saw one of the video clips was you talking about the thieves of productivity. Mm. So um, I thought that was quite uh, made people quite curious. So tell people a little bit what, what are the thieves of productivity? I will. And the best way to get there would be to, I think we give a little context first and we talk about the broader picture because the thieves only make sense when we look at the lives that we're living at work. And the the metaphor, the critical metaphor that we use to talk about all of that is that of building a fire. And if you imagine building a fire, you have to have certain ingredients. You must have something dry, newspaper, pine needles, you need good wood, maybe soft wood if you want it to catch quickly and hardwood to burn long. But if you forget one critical ingredient, you will never ever have any success in creating a blaze from a spark. And that is the space. It's the space between combustibles that makes fire ignite. And it is also the space between our activities that makes people ignite. We have to have a little oxygenation to think, breathe, ponder, plan, mull, create. If we don't have that, nothing that we do is effective. And when we studied over a 20 year period, what robs people of their space, we found many factors. There were actually 33 unique factors that came up that had to do with all sorts of disparate things from the economy to senior leadership behaviors in corporations. But when we boiled them down, they became four core factors. We actually call them now the thieves of time. And they are drive, excellence, information, and activity. And the funny thing about the thieves is that they're all assets that have run amok. There's not a single thief that's actually in its own a negative thing. They're simply beautiful things that overgrow their pots. And it is in riding the line between their assets and their risk where the work is which, which one out of those four do you see comes up the the most in the kind of people that you work with like the, activity. The... activity so you have to understand the thieves have uh, personality links there are drive type people those are many of your audience entrepreneurs i want to build this i want to climb a hill climb the next climb the next Uh, Excellence people, that's me. We get mired in tiny details, beautiful nuances, lost in the possibility of perfectionism. Information people are your data, scoreboard, spreadsheet, left brain folks. And then activity, which is the one I would give you as my answer, is just this frenetic sense of movement all the time, just box checking and adding and moving and schedule filling. And because of the way that we live in this culture of insatiability, I would say that that is absolutely the dominant thief, though many people identify with all four. 
It's, it's in, interesting. And if you were to take, uh, if you looked back over history, is it is this something that's always been there, but we've just not brought it to the forefront? Or is it something that's become significantly more prominent just because like of social media, just because we've got like Slack notifications all the time and all these things going on? Is, is it worse than it was or is it just more front of mind? I think people who have a tendency to prove themselves through the ego and anxiety of constant motion, they will probably have been that way for hundreds of years. But the digital component is something we have to talk about. I think the digital component has made more of a folding together of work and life shuffled like a deck of cards where every single moment they're interlaced, especially for entrepreneurs where we have no way, we're terrible at turning on and turning off the concept of work, even mentally to turn off the concept of work. So I'm guessing that these are namings of traits that have existed for a long time. I'm sure there was someone who was looking over some scroll of parchment some day ago that had numbers on it that was an information person. But it's a very intensified time. And it was right before the pandemic and for 18 years of our work before that. So what's interesting is that the pandemic, while it has amplified this problem, definitely did not create it. And we have to remember as we correct for it, that it's not a pandemic related problem. A lot of people feel that their overload, it feels pandemic related because we're so emotionally connected right now to the pandemic, but it's been here for a really long time. Mm, it's almost that association, right? That people just go, well, if that's here, then that must be, everything must be linked to that because, because that's at the forefront of my mind. And it's um, made it worse. And it's made it much worse because people go to work now for different reasons that they, they, when you've finished all of Netflix and you literally have no idea what to do with yourself, people are going to work now in a volitional way because they have nothing else to do more than I've ever seen. People have gone to work too much for turned to work for stimulation, for escape. But I think it's very different now. It's at a much more heightened and, and honestly worrisome level. Mm, yeah, certainly uh, the truth there. Now, what what is the most critical use of, of white space? Like, really, what is white space, and then what's the critical use of that? I think some of your listeners might not know the term, so let's start there. That space I talked about, we call it white space. It's defined as time with no assignment, and the way that you create some is you just take a strategic pause, not a lazy pause, not an idle pause, but a strategic pause to allow space. And that space rushes in and then beautiful things can happen from there, not just in the realm of recuperation, but in creativity, in strategy, and for entrepreneurs in really stepping back and saying, I am the architect of this future I'm building. What do I honestly want it to look like? If you're hundred percent action and 0% pondering, you'll never ever be able to create a purposeful design. Mm. Um, just to, to link to that, I was actually going through, I was going through that yesterday. Just like I was creating yeah. this new um, video sales letter, and it's like I just couldn't quite get that messaging down. I shared it with someone else, and they were just like, "Yeah, I don't quite get it." So, and, and then I just got really frustrated. Like, I had five minutes just sitting on the sofa, just looking at the ceiling, and then uh, my wife was like, "Let's go for a walk." We went for a walk, and then I had this like epiphany idea. We came back, and then it was like, "Bam!" You can just action it straight. We call it yeah, thought help. Write it up, it's a white space story. And we should say probably that the reason we call it white space 
is because one of the origin stories of the content came from days when I was coaching executives in big companies and they had paper calendars. And so we would open up the paper calendar looking for literal white space, knowing that the more white was on a day, the more profound opportunity that day can hold. And entrepreneurs have to have a really disciplined relationship because when they see white on a page, they go, my job is to fill this. My job is to pack the day and look like a paint swatch so that I have so many activities and tasks and meetings and calls, but activity is different than productivity. So do you, do you almost need to schedule the white space as if it's a task? You can, you can, a lot of people, it depends. So this is where the GTD getting things done, people rise up and they want schedules and rules and timers. And there, there is a way of doing it that way. And there's a way of being very improvisational. So the most, uh, the entry level tool that people can use to start trying white space usually is called the wedge. And the wedge is just imagining if you could see my fingers, most of you are listening on audio, like a wedge pointing upward. It's a wedge of open time that is inserted in between two activities and separating and opening them just a little bit. So between a meeting and a meeting, between an idea and doing something about it, between the end of our conversation and the beginning of your next one, these little wedges, they can be three, five, 10 seconds, three, five, 10 minutes, just opening up the day. And I prefer for my own white space practice, the improvisational and interstitial use of that time. There are great results from scheduling it. Most people aim too high. They try to put 30 minutes or 60 minutes on a calendar and it feels ridiculous. But if they did 15, it's unbelievable to me how fast that time affects you. And I, I dare everyone listening to take 15 minutes to go sit away from all technology, maybe with a legal pad on your pen, because your mind will begin to produce and just either stare at nature or out a window or at the busyness of a coffee shop and just resist, resist the phone, resist talking to the person next to you. And it's just, you can't even believe what 15 minutes feels like. Mm. Uh, it's some, something that we're, I think we're doing probably next week is we are having a tech-free weekend. So we're actually going and, oh. and renting a yurt um, and just going and staying in a field, no awesome. tech, not taking no phones or anything like that. Is that something that you you encourage in in that terms of white space? I know that's a little bit more extreme, right, than like a 15-minute window, but is that something that you encourage people to work up towards? Or I love the, the digital detox concept is one that I love. Uh, my husband and I are not always exactly on the same page of how detoxed we want to get. So that's really the limiter in our family. I have three boys that are 11, 14, and 16. And so the amount of tech that we allow is a constant uh, conversation. We do one day a week where there's no tech. But I actually, I was been thinking about creating a little tech-free mastermind group to talk through the nitty gritty challenges of what about music? What about GPS? What about timers? There are things that you end up using that are so uh, built in at this point that when you want to go completely tech-free, they require an enormous amount of energy to buy the white noise machine and install the GPS in the car and do all these things to make yourself a tech-free lifestyle. But I think that they're worth it. And it would be really fun to get together with people and trade techniques for overcoming those small um, comforts that we've become so used to. 
when your mind is tech free for a full day, then two days, then three days, there are numerous studies that show that magical things happen. It's not our area of expertise, but it's a big thing I believe in. Yeah, de definitely. I, I, just on the GPS, I think we said we were going to take an old-fashioned map and just see if we can figure it out. <laughs> yeah. uh, and the yurt weekend, it works for because it's so extreme. But it's if you want to be tech-free at home on a Wednesday, yeah, that's when it's actually harder because your alarm clock is what wakes you up. We can just go on and on and on about all the things. Your digital meat timer for your pot roast, you know. Um, we're so adapted. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. Now, is white space then something that is an easy concept for people to grasp in real life? And, and what do people tend to get wrong wrong about it? Good question. They get they have a lot of misconceptions. One of them is that it's only for rest. When you first talk to people about white space, they think how much they need a break to just uh, and let their exhausted brain and body vegetate for a minute. And that's a really, really foundational use of the time. But there's a guy in the book that we use to leapfrog into all the other uses. His name is John in the book that I wrote called A Minute to Think. We do this story of a guy named John. And John was a security guard. I guess he still is. I haven't talked to him in a while. He is a security guard at a Fortune 200 company. And what's interesting about this guy is that he is granted he's very, very smart, but he works in a company where patents are the enormous goal, filing more patents, getting more patents over the line, inventing more things that lead to patents. It happens that in this giant company with lots of innovation professionals, that it is John, the security guard who holds the record for the most patents. And when I spoke to him, I realized how smart he was. And I realized what a creative thinker he was. But we talked about the fact that his job is 95% white space and 5% prescribed action. So in all that waiting time, that on duty, on deck time, he's able to come up with fantastic ideas, the threads of which he has permission to follow. And this is such a critical idea for your entrepreneurs, the threads of which the little baby shoots of those ideas he has permission to follow. And the kicker of the story is there've been two different times that somebody noticed him, they promoted him into innovation and out of security and two different times now he has uh, gone back to security and said, no, thank you. Because when he got to innovation, to a formal department where creativity was the, the, the task, they filled his calendar with all sorts of crap all day long that kept him from a creative process. And, and this is really, the thing that we want to think about is that open time, just like you had your aha about your writing, mm. it leads to the specific clarity and breakthroughs that we want in our business, not just the ability to feel better and improve our wellness. So I'm, I'm curious as well, because there's, you know, there's not that many people that have certainly been on this show that have spoke about what you speak about. So where, where does that, where does that come from? Uh, and like, where does, where does the why behind that come from? What, why, why, you know, a, um, a minute to think and the book and all that kind of stuff around it. It's from all the sadness that I've seen. And it's mostly on your audience is entrepreneurial, but we spend 90% of our time in corporate. And the reason I'm an entrepreneur is because I have freedom and I have the ability to walk away from things that are miserable, but there's an awful lot of people that are in 
environments where they have no autonomy and where they tolerate a ton of misery at work. It's, they just wake up every day, they have their little spark, they hope it lasts, they walk in, it's crushed by an avalanche of corporate junk all day long. And I've watched this for almost 20 years. I've watched people end up having strokes. I've watched people who have no joy of life. I've watched people who are completely disconnected from meaning, which is what fuels the spark, by the way. And um, I really do believe that I can help them. I wanted them to know that they were not alone. And I wanted them to know that it was a solvable problem. And then as the book came out and we realized that so many people outside of corporate America had these same feelings, had these same problems. The book has become much wider now in terms of who can feel deeply served by picking it up. And, and I think entrepreneurs need it so badly because there is no boss pushing us to misery, but we do it ourselves just fine. Yeah, yeah, de def definitely. What what would you say then from a from an organizational standpoint? Let's say it's a corporate or maybe a uh, an SME that you know has got has got a good amount of employees. What's the cost to them by not having the structures and the processes in place to allow for that white space? Well, now they're paying the big one, which is all the good people are leaving because they have this new permission is in the air, and it's so it's been so interesting to watch internal executives respond to the great resignation and be on calls and calls and calls with them while they try to figure out why people are leaving and what they need to stay. And they've paid a lot of other prices. They pay creative prices, they pay efficiency prices, but right now the hot topic is everybody's leaving. And that attrition, they try to solve it with simple and quick transactional steps money, mostly vacation stipends, signing bonuses, higher salaries. Then they move, move to perks, yoga classes, mental health, gluten-free snacks in the break room. And, and what they don't do is they don't look at the basic experience of work, which is unpleasant. And that is harder to change. That's behavioral and communal and therefore much more complicated. But that's what we do when we walk in and we say, these Perks and cash and prizes are great, but that's not why they're leaving in the first place. They've been miserable a long time and something has unlocked in the world that is now giving them permission. They're just walking away from what they've hated for decades. And so yeah, that's it, what I see right now. It's, it's, it's certainly true. I mean, what, what we always say, we always do a culture, culture fit first interview before we do a position fit. And the hmm. reason for that is just because you know, at the end of the day, people need to match the culture of the business. Now, some people may love whatever that corporate culture is and just like, well, I, I just love being at my desk and I love just give, being given 101 different things to do. Most people don't. But yeah. I, do you think as, as well, it's also is it starting from that culture perspective of like, hey, we, we're going to give you that experience to grow and that environment where we can all grow together. The culture is, culture is a quilt of norms sewed together. That's what culture is, is we have norms around communication, norms around vacation, norms around email, and you put them all together and, oh my gosh, we have a culture now. So taking that apart and going square by square and saying, what are our norms about time off? Are we disconnected when we go? Are we guilty when we leave? Are we peaceful when we return? Are there leaders modeling this? That's one norm and you explore it and you refine it. And then you go to another norm. What's our digital communication? I had, a, I was just prepping a slide for a media company that I was doing a keynote for. 
And we like to list the different communication channels. I'm trying to think if I could read it to you without, you won't see the slide, but I think there were 12. Yammer, Slack, IM, Teams, email, texting, phones. So the communication norms, how do we reach out to each other? And is it confusing and muddled? I think I, I hung up the prep call when I was getting ready for the keynote and I just wrote hot mess on a yellow piece of paper because how can anybody work in that environment? It's just a constant distraction and noise, right? And, yeah. and is it also the expectation that, that comes with that that then create, creates a lack of white space? So the expectation that you should respond within like, uh, you know, 30 minutes, you should always have slack on, you should always be on your phone and everything like that. I mean, uh, I'm sure my, my parents may listen to this one day, but uh, probably, probably not. But the amount of times that say they say to me, you never answer your phone. I wish you just answer your phone. I was like, I'm not going to answer my phone. Like you, you can get as frustrated as you want, but yep. I'm not going to answer it. I might get back to you in 24 hours, but that's it. Is, right. is that something that's a burden, do you think? Well, that's, you're, you're modeling the kind of boundaries that we hope people adopt. And that's because you are your own boss and you have authority and autonomy and you can do what you like. And so you've said, unless it's bleeding or on fire, calm, you know, I'll get back to you within 24 hours. And that's, that's what we love people to aspire to, but not everyone has that confidence or, or permission. The, the overall phenomenon you're talking about, we do talk about in the book and it's called hallucinated urgency. And it's this sense that all time sensitivity now has been flattened and we don't have a way of gauging between task A and task B and need A and need B. It's just all urgent. And that, first of all, our poor little nervous systems just live on high alert every single second, but also tactically, we don't know what to do differently. So a great framing that people can use, they can talk, even if they have a small team or two, of two or three people, they can talk about the three levels of urgency. Things can be not time sensitive. Things can be tactically time sensitive. And that means speed to action here is actually tied to a business result. We have to pay attention to when that's true. And then the gigantic catch-all that we miss is things can be emotionally time sensitive. And that means I'm just anxious or curious or moving too fast or afraid. And so that, that fuels and then masquerades as tactical time sensitivity an enormous amount of the time. So if you can have those conversations with people and use terms that you can all agree on and have shared language, that can really help. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And I think it's, it's so, so important for, for so many people. Now, <clears throat> just changing gears a little bit as well. And this is something that we ask everyone who comes on the show, Juliet, is what do you want to be remembered for when you die? Wow. I'd like to be the lady that gave people space. I think that would be a really nice thing to feel like that space made their days better, but also wafted into their personal lives and their children's lives. And I really intensely believe in white space at home. And I think maybe I could see a future iteration. We've also talked to our publisher about making something more specific to parents and families about underscheduling these poor, blisteringly busy children and home lives. And so I think that's a big point of care for me too. I, I, I love that. And I think it's, uh, it, it's something that's going to become increasingly important in the, in the future. If, if anything, it's getting more and more important every year. So that's fantastic. 
Now, what is one quick win that people can use to amplify their business or life today? Good one. Let's do a COVID-related one. Uh, it's a one primary rule, and it, it's very, very relevant in the Zoomaholic world that we've ended up in, where I'm sure you have someone after me and someone after me and someone after me. So here's the rule. When your calendar looks like a paint swatch, when there are colors and colors and colors and colors in a row, you apply the rule, never let the colors touch. And what we wanna see is stripes, white stripes between every meeting. That means you have five, 10 or 15 minute breaks. And what you do in those breaks is far more, as we said before, than rest. You could look backwards. You could look at the meeting you finished and think, how did that go? Should I make a note? What did I learn? You can look within. You can say, I'm a human. Do I need to eat, pee, rest, close my eyes for five seconds? And then we could look ahead and say, who's next? Oh, it's Paul. And what is Paul about? And what do I need to get? What gear do I need to shift into differently and uniquely to empathize with and connect with Paul? You add those stripes and every single interaction is different and you can have the stamina so that the last third of your day is not a waste. I, I, I like that. I like that. The, the stripe effect. Um, oh, let's go with that. I like let's, that. Let's go with that. Uh, f fantastic. So, Juliet, it's been awesome having you on the show. What what seven-figure-plus entrepreneur would you nominate to be on the show next? I think you would love Patrick McGuinness, who coined the term FOMO and also the term FOBO, which is a term that I resonate even more, fear of a better option. This is the choosing of which employee, which place to locate the business, which marketing company, and we're always constrained with this terrible FOBO of fear of a better option. He's also wonderful and articulate and a best-selling author, so I think he'd be great for you. Oh, that's that's fantastic. Sometimes you don't realize with these phrases where they actually come from, right? Yeah, just, a person came from a person. Yeah, yeah. you just kind of think they magically appear. So uh, I love that. And then finally, where can people find out more about you, about A Minute to Think and uh, everything else you've got going on? Yes, it's julietfunt.com. They can take a test there called the busyness test so they can understand what's keeping them uniquely from their space. And they can also download the first chapter of the book for free. Fantastic. So go and check that out in the show notes as well. Um, and you'll be able to see that on amplifytosevenfigures.com and just look for Juliet's uh, episode on there. So uh, Juliet, it has been amazing having you on the show today. Really appreciate you. Thanks so much. You have been listening to the Amplify to Seven Figures podcast with me, Paul Ace, and my amazing guest today, Juliet Funt. Remember, amplify your business and amplify your life. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Amplify to Seven Figures podcast. To access the show notes, episodes, and this month's giveaway, head over to www.amplifytosevenfigures.com. Remember, amplify your business, amplify, amplify your, your life. life.